Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. And we have the same heart and the same mind um, and the same character and the same integrity that we bring into the workplace and that we bring into our home place. And I don't believe that we can genuinely switch gears um, and be a awful person at work, uh, somebody that beats people up at work, um, you know, is tough on employees, yelling, screaming, harsh, and then cross the threshold at home and walk in and be kind, loving, nurturing, welcoming to our children, to our spouse. Um, I just think it, we're, the, we're the same person at both places. Hey, Rudder Nation. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut and into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and we're going to be joined by Johnny Serpola. Johnny was the president and CEO of Camping World until 2017. He's now the author of a book called Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay, and he does a lot of speaking around reframing our mindsets, especially during tough times. So in this episode, we're going to have a conversation about the season that he and his wife had, Susan, where they were trying to have a baby to create the family that had children in it and the ups and downs that went and came with that. But we'll also talk about how we bring ourselves to our family lives also is the same person we bring to our work lives. So he's going to talk about how you can run your business or your career with a family mindset and why that's important. So sit back and relax unless you're eating tacos while driving a tractor. Uh, in that case, yeah, I don't know, maybe stop the tractor, eat the taco and then drive the tractor again. That's just my thought. Uh, but other than that, let's go. All right. Hey, Johnny, thanks for calling in from Canton, Ohio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jerry. It's great to see you, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this morning. So uh, if I got the background right, uh, you just recently retired as the president and CEO of Camping World? I was the president and chief business development officer. Business development officer. There we go. Now, I'm familiar with Camping World because well, I'm a ultralight backpacker, and I keep I would keep going to Camping World thinking that I was going to find ultralight backpacking gear, and it's like all these RVs. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You would think I would learn after years of backpacking that, uh, uh, but anyway, I'd start shopping because you know there, eventually there's a day where I won't be able to backpack, and um, or I just want to do it. You know, Tim Winders. I don't know if you've met him. Uh, Tim Winders is a podcaster who's a business coach. He and his wife sold all their possessions a few years back, and they actually live in their RV and they travel the country and they podcast from their country. So I need to connect you too. That that okay? Yeah, note, I, note to self. I've actually heard of him, and you can get. So many things at Camping World for your home and your RV and certainly your outdoor lifestyle. So yes. keep going back, Jerry. Yeah, I will. Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife just gets nervous when I go there because she's like, hey, what are you buying now? I'm like, I, and y'all can't see this, but in front of me is all my camping gear <laughs> in my <laughs> podcast studio. Uh, so at any given moment, I'm ready to go. Uh, but that's not why we got you on here uh, because your story actually has a lot of ups and downs to it and a lot of lessons around res resiliency and reframing a mindset. And, uh, you know, so th some of the things that stood out to me is uh, essentially like the beyond the rut story. Uh, you married your college sweetheart um, in college. You're in a fraternity. She was in a sorority. So you got boxes checked there. Uh, you 
You had careers that both paid well. Check, check. Uh, and then you had this, this, uh, part of your lives where you wanted to have children and then that was your biggest struggle. Um, and one of the things I wanted to share with you in the audience, the thing that stood out to me in your book, uh, was this horrifying moment. It's, it's not the worst part of the book, guys. Uh, but for me, it was horrifying because I stopped breathing for three or four pages. And it was when, um, Susan is going in for a procedure to extract some eggs and you're in the lobby with your mother <laughs> and your mother-in-law and things are okay. You're worried about Susan. You're praying for Susan. And then the medical staff come out and they're like, Hey, it's time for your contribution. I stopped breathing at that point because that is like teenage Jerry's horrors coming to life, but like you lived it. Uh, and, and so I don't know how you did what you did knowing that they were out there knowing what you were doing. And, uh, and, and so guys, you got to read the book if, well, for a lot more reasons than that scene, but, uh, it led to a very, uh, disheartening or sad point in your lives after that, because that moment led to uh, triplets on the way and, and you wound up losing all three triplets. And uh, that in essence was the roller coaster you both experienced for a long time. Um, what was that like going through those ups and downs together? So I, I like the way you phrase that because we definitely did go through it together. Um, and, and, you know, Jerry, when any of us are in a rut, and I love the, the title of your podcast because so many of us fall into those ruts in different seasons in our lives. And uh, we fell into a rut after being at the peak of our lives. I mean, our careers are going amazing. You know, we're, we're madly in love. Uh, we have amazing friends, amazing family. I mean, everything's going so well that we were kind of pinching ourselves like this is too good to be true. And then it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was only good, to, too good to be true until it wasn't. And, and so for us, uh, we did go through the entire journey together. As you just referenced, some of it was a little too much togetherness. Uh, when after <laughs> years of keeping it secret that yeah. I insisted to my wife that we invite my mom and uh, her mom to uh, the egg retrieval um, at the hospital when we were doing in vitro. And um, I didn't fully think through that. Susan thought it was a bad idea that we should do that alone. And I just thought it was a great family experience. I don't know who thinks their mothers should be at their conception of their grandchildren. But uh, for some reason, uh, it, it sounded right to me in a, a good togetherness moment. Um, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> so, so I blew that um, for sure. I, I did not uh, handle that well. And it was almost like a Seinfeld episode um, in, that, in that setting when I had to get up and leave the room. Uh, while Susan was in surgery. But, you know, beyond that, um, how we went through it together is, you know, we continued to have hope and faith. Um, we did become terribly desperate as the time went on. And, and what we realized was when we hit our low after Nicholas, Mary, and Peter died, uh, we had two sons and a daughter, um, triplets, as you mentioned. And after they passed away, when we thought that we were at our low, we really went on to find that we did not get out of that rut. It was, you know, a long time behind us and a long time ahead of us before this dark cloud was going to be lifted. And so uh, we chose uh, very actively uh, to grieve together, uh, to not grieve apart from each other. We said that uh, we were going to remain committed to each other and to our goal. Um, but, you know, you spend a lot of time at a cemetery and, sitting close uh, to your kids to just be physically by them, to have that proximity and that connection to them. And, you know, a couple grieves differently after child loss and different times and different days 
we stayed pretty much on the same cycle, um, but then we're understanding for the other when one was up and one was down. Uh, one was trying to get on. And uh, for me, so much of that moving on felt unnatural. It just didn't seem appropriate to look for joy, to laugh, to be happy when really how we define success in creating a family, uh, we were failing. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that part of your lives where you just lost the triplets and um, a couple comes out of the woodwork, like some acquaintances, you, you like they weren't close friends, it sounded like. And they came up to you and they gave you some very valuable advice. Um, you know, could you share that with us? Yeah. You know what? They taught us so much. It was truly an acquaintance couple that we eventually became close to. Um, but they came to our house, uh, uninvited the uh, night before the funeral. Mm. And, um, you know, we opened the door and they're standing there and we were a little surprised. Uh, but their boldness and their boldness in love, their boldness and compassion um, really just blew us away. I mean, we were so moved by it. And they explained that they had lost uh, a baby at a week old um, and their son died about 20 years earlier. And they talked to us about their marriage. They talked to us about how others might view the situation. Oftentimes infant death is different, uh, is looked at differently than uh, death later in life. And we we came to understand that and and have respect for any stage that you lose a child. Um, but some people didn't have an understanding of what it um, is like to lose an infant. And so, you know, we learned from them that compassion really doesn't know limits and with a good heart and following that heart, you know, it helped us to be more bold with others in reaching out and really it shaped the course of my business career. I mean, yeah. a, a simple setting like that, where someone just took such a big step to show up at someone's house the night before a funeral after a tragic event. Um, it, it was really um, just a beautiful gesture. Yeah. And they're the ones who shared with you the importance of grieving together and staying together and being proactive about getting through this season together. And um, you didn't mention the statistic in there, but it is high. The number of couples that end up divorcing after the loss of a child is staggeringly high. Uh, I think it's around the 85% range, give or take a few points. Um, so now that compels me to have to go find the actual stat so I can put it in the show notes, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, but it is high. And, and so to have somebody reach out to you through compassion and, and let you know the hardest part is actually coming forward for the two of you. And this is why it's important for the two of you to be together. And um, and and you mentioned in your book that wasn't just advice you applied to yourselves, but you found yourselves paying it forward for other couples. So your pain, in a way, became a ministry to others. Would that sound accurate? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think when you go through a tough time, when life is hard, right? The title of my book, when uh, life is hard, but I'll be okay. When you go through a tough time, um, you know, you're, you're asking yourself, how am I going to survive this? Um, and, and that's probably the appropriate initial question to ask. Um, but if you continue to ask yourself more questions um, and go deeper in it um, and start the reframing process, we can talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I went deeper to say, you know, what am I going to learn through this? Um, how can this situation improve my life? And that's a strange question because it, the situation nearly destroyed our lives. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, we couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And so, you know, we had a hard time uh, getting through a work day and 
you know, not going to the cemetery every day after work or before work. And so literally to say, how can this situation improve my life? How can Nicholas, Mary, and Peter dying be something that I can be a better man for, be a better husband, hopefully someday a better father? Um, How can this situation make me better? And, you know, can I get this situation to allow um, the tragedy to serve as a foundation of growth that my wife and I can springboard off of? And all of that reframing really began to happen. And then it gave us clarity and purpose for number one, what we needed to do to reframe their lives as not just a tragic event, because that seemed disrespectful to them. I, I, I can remember just using the term disrespectful so many times then because I, I could feel that, you know, some might disrespect the uh, severity and the pain of the situation through their well-intended comments of, well, at least you didn't know them very well. And at least you didn't, um, yeah. you know, have a lot of time together. Um, so that would have made it so much harder. And you know, technically, maybe it would have been much harder to lose a two-year-old versus a newborn. Um, but we also didn't have two years of joy or use, yeah. losing a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old. We also didn't get those years of joy. So it, at the time, we couldn't quite understand that. Um, as we did go on through very complicated and extenuating circumstances to have other children, you know, we, we saw a different perspective there. So we could understand the spirit of what they were saying, it, it still stung as they said it. But we really realized that, um, you know, for us, it, it needed to be something that they were not disrespected by the time between their birth certificate and their death, death certificate. We're going to quantify um, the significance of their life. That felt disrespectful to me. And so whether your life is a day or 85 years, there's meaning and value in it. And so for us, um, we needed to fill that rut, fill those holes with the joy and the genuine joy that we did experience while they were alive, because God did give us a grace during that time um, where we were, we said it then and we say it now, we were the happiest people in that hospital. Um, Ultimately, Intellectually, we knew what was going to happen, but it hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And so they were still breathing. They were still, we were still holding them and loving them. And, you know, for that, we saw a lot of beauty and we received a gift uh, in their birth and we're not going to see it in any other way. Yeah. Oh, man. And it was such a beautiful way that you had told that in the book as well. And, uh, you know, it's, that is something valuable for everybody to remember is how precious life is and uh, how short it is, how fragile it is. And I think in some ways, if we remember that, we start to appreciate the time we have right here in front of us as opposed to, I'll get to that later, uh, or someday I'll. You know, it's when it comes to like pursuing your dream or your purpose, you always hear folks talk about someday I will do blank. And I refer to it as someday I'll, like someday island. Uh, and, you know, it's just, yeah, enjoy the people around you, the ones who matter the most, which everybody's got value. Um, so what are some of the things that you would do to, I think you mentioned them, like the questions you would ask to help reframe your, um, your mindset on a situation. You've actually been sharing that up to this point. Um, but then going back to that part about going through the process together as a, as a couple, were there some practical guidelines that you both held to that helped you stay 
on the same page or get to the same page or uh, get through those, those moments where it was just hard for either one or both of you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind when you ask that question, Jerry, is the fact that in our uh, vows that we wrote for each other, um, and so we, you know, scripted our own vows, we did not use the uh, conventional vows, and one of the vows that we wrote was, uh, I promise to see your viewpoint in all as you must see mine. Yes. And so it was a promise to each other and also a statement to each other that you must see mine. Right. And so I was very aware of that, that statement that Susan made to me, you must see mine. And so, you know, a man and a woman go through uh, a pregnancy and a loss um, differently at times. Of course, Susan's going through it physically. I was inducing the drugs into her. I was injecting those into her daily. Um, and so I had that side of it that felt um, unnatural to me. It felt um, my anxiety got going of worrying about what the chemicals I'm putting in her and the hormones and could this lead to cancer at some point in her life, you know, things that, uh, that scared me. Um, and so when in her early 40s, when she needed a double mastectomy, uh, there was something in, in me that said, you know, a seed was planted that I was worrying about something. Maybe that contributed to her uh, tumor that uh, she had in her breast or maybe not. I don't know. And, and we'll never really know. But I know that that was something that I thought about. And so in, in promising to see each other's viewpoints, um, we, we clung to that vow. And, you know, we really never realized how significant that vow was going to be. And so in loss, um, in trying to move forward, um, you know, you might have viewpoints that the other doesn't have. I had a greater guilt um, after we adopted. I don't want to ruin too much of the book. There. Yeah, I only got um, to the part where you're about to meet Bo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Spoiler alert! There, um, that's that's our guy Bo, and uh, you know, I I, I do. Um, I've always told the kids that you know. One of them is adopted, and I don't remember which one, but now I have a book that proves uh, which one. Right. Yeah, you documented it, it here. <laughs> yeah, it was Bo. Bo was the adopted one. Um, and so, you know, that I felt more guilt associated um, with being happy than Susan did. Mm. And Susan couldn't identify with that. She, um, she appropriately, and I think my wife appropriately deals with things better than I do in general, with less anxiety, less active thoughts conflicting in her head. She's got a calmer mind and just a, a much easier tone about her always and naturally. Um, but she understood the guilt that I was feeling when I was so happy and holding our son. Um, yet just my heart was breaking, feeling like, oh, you could so easily move on um, and replace them with another. Those things just didn't feel right to me. And so she understood 
my journey in that. And when we were in therapy and we saw an amazing psychologist, Dr. Barb Fordyce, uh, who's a dear friend uh, today and a business partner, and, and we do a lot of public speaking and corporate engagements together. Um, and we literally spent that much time in her office that she got to know me so well that, you know, she said we can be good business partners because um, we, we took the learnings that she gave and we really brought it to life um, and brought it back to her with proof that her teachings of cognitive reshaping uh, can work in the cognitive behavioral therapies that she, she walked us through. So, you know, we, we put those to use and, and to good work and uh, we got out of that rut um, of their death only to be followed by life staying hard and new ruts. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Y'all, y'all went like one after the other, after the, the triplets, uh, power Y. I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't read the book yet. You got to get the book guys. Um, uh, cause you go to Paraguay to, to adopt. That doesn't work out. Uh, you have a pair of twins on the way. They, they miscarry and, uh and and again, whatever happens from chapter eleven on, <laughs> and, and I did skip forward. I needed to know, like, how <laughs> I, I got to see the pictures at least, so I do know that there is a happier ending to this, and and you have gotten through a lot of those hurdles, and and y'all, you've heard it here so far. I mean, they they've done things like working on reframing. They held onto their vow to see the other person's point of view, and also expect the other person to see their own point of view, and that's that is huge. Um, now, your personal life, though, also influenced your business life in a positive way. You know, I'm a firm believer that you know, we, we don't necessarily separate our character to have two sets of character, uh, like the business character and the family life character. Like You are the same person in both, and your character is there. And, and so you're going through all this with Susan, uh, trying to have a family with children, and you get this moment where you're back at the workplace and you found out that this uh, family owned business that your dad started is now, it has now developed a toxic environment. Um, and you're able to apply a lot of what you've gained from reframing and, and hardship and, and seeing you and your, your wife at your worst. Um, how did that lead towards forward focus in that program? So shifting gears here from family to now this business application, this leadership application, um, tell us about you know forward focus and how your life experiences led to this business transformation. So I'm I'm really not a believer, Jerry, in the work life balance. Um, yeah, because as as I see that um, we have it's just life, right? And yes, we have our work life and we have our personal life, but that that falls under the the heading of life. And we have the same heart and the same mind um, and the same character and the same integrity that we bring into the workplace and then we bring into our home place. And I don't believe that we can genuinely switch gears um, and be a awful person at work. Uh, somebody that beats people up at work, um, you know, is tough on employees, yelling, screaming, harsh, and then cross the threshold at home and walk in and be kind, loving, nurturing, welcoming to our children, to our spouse. Um, I just think it, we're, the, we're the same person at both places. <clears throat> and it made me recognize that as unhappy, <clears throat> excuse me, unhappy and lost as I was at home, when I got to work, I felt the same. And it made me start looking at my company that I was leading. Uh, my dad was retired at that point. Uh, he got cancer and had to stop working when I was 28. And it was all on me. And I realized um, 
the culture that I allowed all for the desire for business success. And I realized that I had a responsibility to our team uh, to create a culture at work that ultimately makes them better for their real purpose in life when they go home. Mother, father, sister, daughter, husband, grandmother, whatever it is, right? Friend, caretaker, whatever your role is when you go home that really, really matters. Um, And I'm never saying that our work life doesn't matter. It does. But then the thing that kind of gives us nourishment to fill up to go back to work the next day, because it's really a cycle, right? You know, have a wonderful home life, get nourished and energized to go into your workday, have a you know, fulfilling and completing workday that you could be energized and ready to go back home and have that great cycle working and, and um, have a, a good flow there. And I had let them down by allowing a culture that just perpetuated disrespect, mm-hmm. teams criticizing each other. And then ultimately, and most importantly, that affected customer service. Because I've always said that my employees and I, we are not actors. And so you could not you know, come out of a meeting, a sales meeting where the sales leader beats you up and then you walk out there on the floor and see the first customer and just be genuinely offering great customer service. And so, you know, for me, I saw that as an opportunity to say, I'm going to take this post-traumatic growth opportunity, the trauma we just experienced at home, and I've got to look forward because when I look back, it's too painful. And so I created Forward Focus. And in forward focus is what I liked about myself and my solutions um, and the great people around me that can help bring things better, my talents, my skills, all that's in forward thinking and backward thinking is my weaknesses, my insecurities, the problems sit there, blaming others sits there. And so from that, I you know went on a year-long journey and told the employees that at the end of this year, everyone's employment is up for re-evaluation. And um this is the culture that we're going to work in. Might not be what you're looking for. No worries. I respect that. It's just that you'll need to find employment somewhere else, or I'll encourage you to do that. And uh, that's ultimately what was done. And at the end of that year, um, I relieved about two people um, uh, from a a team of about 70, that the others really absorbed it. No one hit perfection because none of us can, but they had a commitment and a desire to recognize. Doesn't mean that they still didn't make mistakes at work or they weren't harsh at times, but that we had a culture established that we said, wait a minute, not here. That's not how we do things. Mm -hmm. And they knew from instruction, from reading materials they were given, from our company newsletter, from me speaking uh, twice a month at company meetings, they knew how we do do it, right? I did clarify that. I showed them what a conflict resolution looks like. And I'm a believer that insecurity is the root uh, source of all workplace conflict. So we were able to talk to people about when they're lashing out, um, that they have an insecurity that they're now projecting onto someone else in another situation. And we're going to get to the bottom of that and we're going to talk about it. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to write down insecurity real quick. Um, Yes. My day job, by the way, is doing leadership development, team building (laughs) for a healthcare organization. I never thought about that. Insecurity though, being the root of some of these, these. uh, It's the root, root of all uh, workplace conflict. I've seen it, Jerry, at every income level where, whether I had associates making 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, uh, $2 million a year, um, that when they lashed out, when they got aggressive, there was an insecurity in them. Um, They were trying to protect their territory. So maybe their insecurity was if someone else is shining, uh, they might 
take some of my responsibilities. They might take some of my upward career mobility. Mm-hmm. Now, at Camping World, I was blessed to lead and, and be part of an executive team leading over 10,000 employees. It was you know, a $4 billion a year in annual sales company with um, you know, stores in 38 states. We were all over the country and growing and, and, and building more stores. And in that upward mobility and growth environment, it was so prevalent to see insecurities of someone's future career plans. And then we would see how people would act out in ways that would create conflict at work. And as leaders, we can look at that and say, some of that we're creating because we're allowing that insecurity to surface. We're not providing security for them so that they see a clear career path moving ahead. Um, We've perpetuated and allowed a culture where someone can take their insecurities, lash out at others, but because of, you know, maybe avoidance, um, not desiring to deal with conflict resolution, it just becomes rampant. Yes. And, you know, you have a big company, small company, it's, it's very common there as well, but you have a big company and then you could have thousands and thousands of insecure people. Yes. Yes. And, and people playing it safe and disengaging so they don't get wounded in their insecurities. Uh, and, you know, especially in a time and age where you need your staff to take risks, to feel safe enough to take risks, to take care of your customer, to take care of each other. And, oh man. Oh, wow. All right. That was the, that was for me worth the and price it, of admission right there it, on top of everything else we talked about. <laughs> there's so much that you can apply there um, in, in your work in the healthcare space, because I've been on the board of a large health system for 20 years. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've seen firsthand where leadership um impacts quality of care. Yeah. Right. So in in my business, we were in the recreation business, right? We were creating and fulfilling dreams for people for their leisure time, for their family time. So that was super fun. Take that into a healthcare setting where it's life and death. Yes. And leadership can impact the quality of care, just like it impacts quality of customer service. Yeah. And, and some might say, oh, that's, that's not true. Um, because the quality of care will always be a priority. I challenge that because when someone is treated poorly and their mind is in another place, when their mind is recanting how their boss just ripped them apart um, and tore them down, maybe publicly, those thoughts are swirling through their mind as they need to be administering drugs, having just an interaction with a patient. So the quality of care doesn't have to be something along the extent of malpractice in a a bad surgery. Um, It could just be in the quality of compassionate care. When you're interacting with a, a patient, that as we know today, where Medicare payments can be based on the quality assurance scores that hospitals get based on the patients, um, you know, filling out surveys, you know, those surveys are important yeah. and, and people, they're going to assume that you're giving them the right drugs, right? That, that's a standard that you have to do, but do you do it with compassion and care? And I think about um, a nurse that when my wife had her double mastectomy and she came in and my wife had in her hands a clinging cross. I had rosary beads in my hand and we were sitting there, you know, at six in the morning waiting um, for the IVs to put, be put in. And she comes in and uh, sees that we're clearly a faith-based couple. And um, she was going to start the day with the IVs uh, before Susan went into pre-op. And she just saw how troubled we were. And she asked us if we, if she could pray with us. Um, and it, Jerry, that it changed the start of that day yeah. Uh, where that level of compassion of care was put there. And then the nurse 
um, in the pre-op area that um, literally helped me lift my kids off their mom saying goodbye to her and then me and walk us out of the uh, pre-op area um, who stopped and hugged me and said, you know, you need a hug before you go back and rejoin with your kids. You know, you talk about quality of care. Yeah. That's that's over the top. And I did not have concern um, for the surgeon. I knew he was world-class. He was going to do an amazing job in that double mastectomy, but our hearts were breaking and we were fearful of what those biopsies would show. That's what we needed. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I get really excited about that conversation because it's, it's a game changer. It's a difference maker. Yeah. Cause we're not just treating a, an ailment or a malady. You're treating a whole person and that whole person comes with emotions, fears, concerns, hopes, dreams. And, uh, and this applies outside of healthcare. I mean, people who lead teams, you are leading people, and, you know, maybe they're going through a tough time. Maybe they're going through a great time. Are you able to celebrate and be there with them when they, they have those moments of pain and, uh, and suffering? And, um, you know, can you bring your human self? And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier that, you know, there is that connection of who I am as a person that's with me when I'm at home and with me when I go to work. Like there is no switch flipping that. And if there is, I mean, people got to ask, you got to ask yourself, like, Am I happy doing this? Do I feel like an honest person living in an honest life? And chances are, if you've got a different personality at work than you do at home, uh, you probably hate yourself in some way, shape, or form because you're not living an authentic life. Um, and Johnny, so far we've talked about uh, the the struggle that you and, and Susan had gone through trying to have children, uh, the importance of working together, grieving together, uh, seeing each other for, um, for from the other person's point of view. Uh, we've talked about uh, forward focus, you know, leading the whole person, setting culture, uh, letting go of those who don't want to be a part of that team culture, uh, and then providing that sense of safety uh, so that people can be themselves, take risks for the organization, take care of customers, that kind of thing, learn from their mistakes, and so on. And, and folks, uh, Johnny's book is Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay. Uh, he got that title from a speaking engagement he had done. Somebody had asked him a question. And his answer was, life is hard, but I'll be okay. Uh, where can folks find this book? And if they want more, they want you to speak at their organization, they want you to run a workshop, how can they get more Johnny Serpilla? Well, thank you, Jerry. Um, yes, my book, um, very, very proud of uh, the book right now and, and how it's doing. It has hit in, uh, number one international bestseller on Amazon uh, in 14 categories. It's currently... Um, the number one uh, hot new release in 19 categories on Amazon. So it's available, of course, on Amazon, other uh, online uh, book retailers as well. Um, it is available on my website, uh, www.encourage33.com. So that's the name of my company is called Encourage. So encourage33.com on Instagram uh, at Johnny Serpilla, um, also on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. And um, my website is a great way to email me as well. Uh, my email is johnny at encourage33.com. Nice. Johnny, and before we go, any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Well, you know, I, I, I want to comment on the one thing that you said, because uh, when you were talking about those nurses um, and and how they're treating that that patient, you know, I see that even an extension of that, Jerry, those nurses were treating the entire family, the doctor, was treating the patient and the entire family. 
And they recognize that, that, that nurse, the doctor who is phenomenal as well, the surgeon, they, that was that same good hearted nurse at home. And she brought that right into work with her. She didn't have a, a division in that space and in personality leaders uh, lead the employee and they also lead their mindset that when they go home, that leader can have an impact on a family that leader can have an impact on if that mom or dad goes home uh, from work and is abusive at home where they can take out their power because they were abused at work. They were treated poorly at work. They were talked down to, they were belittled. They go home where they have authority and power and they can take that out there. And as leaders, if we allow that, we are part of that cycle. Just like that nurse was treating the entire family. We as leaders, when we allow that at work, we are treating, um, mistreating that entire family. And so I challenge people to think about that because it is, it is real. There is an authority and a responsibility that comes with being a leader. And when you accept that title for your own career growth, for your paycheck growth, I want to challenge people to realize that it's not all about you. And there's a responsibility that goes with that. And that's thinking about those that you're leading and then ultimately who they impact because you impact them too. That's the perfect way to end that, Johnny. Thank you so much for being on here, Johnny. Appreciate you. Now, if you like everything you heard in this episode, just one thing you could do to help say thank you, and that is to hit the share button and send this to a friend, a family member, or a coworker, or even that neighbor across the street whom you feel would also appreciate Johnny's story. So again, hit that share button. Go ahead and do that right now and send it to somebody right now, unless you're driving then don't do that. That's not safe. Uh, now, you can also go to the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 325. There you'll find a link to Johnny's website. You'll find some related episodes to this conversation that we had, as well as some other resources. Now, I'm glad you joined me this week, and I look forward to joining you again next week. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Chauvian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.